All right. Hello and welcome to Just Animals Podcast. I'm Ellen. With me as always is my dad, aka Guy. Hello, Pod World. Glad you're back, especially to that one listener in Australia. <laughs> and I'll back again as always, Sam the zookeeper. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Still laughing. And today with us, we have a very special guest, uh, we, Dr. Ben. Doc, how would you like for us to refer to you? Well, yeah, my PhD is fresh, so that's that's really oh, cool. So we, oh, congratulations. Yeah. congratulations! Congratulations to me, Dr. Ben from Stanford <laughs> University. Um, we're so happy for you and excited for you. Mazel tov, Ben. Yes. Yeah. So congratulations again. We are okay. Wow, we get you hot off the PhD press. Amazing. Oh, literally, yeah. Like you're you're a week <laughs> away from it. Freshly oh. minted. Okay, so exciting. Okay, stamp that first stamp on there. All right, joining with us from um, what? what is the division called again that you're from? I just lost it. I had it up. Oh, from the, sorry, from the Hopkins Marine in, uh, Station at Stanford University. We're so stoked to have him. Really quick, though, shout out to Jaden and Brittany in Denver, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, yeah, we appreciate your love. We, we appreciate your love. Thanks again. All right, so let's get into it. Dr. Ben. Can you uh, decode their scientific name of the animal we are discussing today? <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I saw that on your prompt sheet, and uh, that is definitely not what I can do for you, but um, I can tell you what it is. Fantastic. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but it sounds like you guys decoded it. I, the, the gigas, definitely, that, yes. that made sense to me, but, you know, I guess preliminary I just... Googling would not reveal to sit No, I, okay, so I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't just me, because I was like, am I, I was like, am I dumb? Like, what's, ha- why can't I get a translation for this yeah, Latin well, name? Well, well, the name is Decidicus gigas, yeah. Um, Decidicus? Yes, Decidicus. and for those of you that don't know, that is the Humboldt squid, otherwise known as um, jumbo squid, giant squid, jumbo oh, flying my, my, my. squid. Uh, and of course, the Humboldt squid and also Diablo Rojo, if you're in Mexico, it's also known as the Red Devil. It's quite, a, it's got quite the name. Lots um, of names, yeah. It, yeah, it's got like a thousand names. And so it's actually, it's named after the explorer slash naturalist Alexander von Humboldt, who visited the region where they can be found at the turn of the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, so Dr. Ben, how did you end up getting into studying Humboldt squids. I mean, was there like a was there a calling or something? Were you, were you like getting night dreams of squids talking to you? In your oh, sleep? Well, yeah, I guess the reason that I studied Humboldt squid was uh, it's kind of by I guess by accident. I think that's how it happens for a lot of biologists. But <laughs> yeah, early in my scientific career, after I finished my undergrad, where I studied mostly like birds and plants, um, I scored oh, boy, an internship. Sam's gonna get excited. <laughs> I scored an internship at the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, which is oh, good um, for you. Which is uh, it's in Monterey Bay. It's a fairly small place. It's only probably employs around two hundred people, but they have a really stellar deep sea research program. Um, they use, I mean, they use a lot of different stuff, but they're famous for using remotely operated vehicles, um, which are like. Uh, kind of just robotic platforms. Um, okay. They're commonly used like in the uh, marine mining industry and stuff like that. Um, but you can use them for science as well. You can put cameras and scientific equipment on them. And so I'll just abbreviate that institution as Ambari. Ambari uses them to study animals in the deep ocean and also other stuff in the deep ocean. But um, right. so I scored an internship there in my the lab I joined, um, which was the Midwater Ecology Lab, which is uh, headed up by Bruce Robeson. Um, the, it just happened to have a 
high abundance of cephalopods studying postdocs. Cool. Um, and I was the intern and, you know, they're, they're a lot of fun to work with. And I mean, it, yeah, just slid into a cephalopod research right then nice. and there because that's what the lab was doing at the time. Sure, um, sure. But yeah, it's a, and eventually I, I did a project or two on Humboldt squid. Um, but there are lots of deep sea squids out there to choose from. Um, right. And yeah, it just so happened that kind of at the yeah. very beginning of my, yeah, during my internship and in the very beginning of my PhD, Humboldt squid were around um, right. in that area. Um, so, and when they're around, they're usually, you know, you, you see them a lot with ROV. So it just kind of, yeah, That's it's really not cool. a very exciting story. Like I meditated and saw a Humboldt squid right. in my dream or anything <laughs> right. like that. Right, it came to in your dreams, right. Or like of, there was uh, ink yeah. on your pillow one morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. I'm, I'm definitely an opportunistic science, scientist. You know, if I see a, there you go. see some stuff around and there's some knowledge gaps, that's definitely a, yeah. And they're really cool. I mean. Yeah, that's, that's just it. I mean, to, for something to just kind of find you, I mean, what a great animal because they're I mean, they're, I really enjoyed. They're very these guys charismatic. Up. Yeah. Yes, they're, they're a, a charismatic megafauna. Yeah. Okay, so oh, I like that. Dr. Megafauna. Ben, yeah. let's, let's talk about these animals. How are the squids related to the octopus? Um, so they're, they're in the, they're all cephalopods and it, for the record, I'm not a taxonomist. So okay. this is kind of probably as good of a, good of a knowledge as either of you guys could get from Googling, but yeah, they're a, they're all they're all cephalopods. So and even further up, they're all mollusks. So okay. um, so you know, like your garden snails or or mussels and stuff. That's what squid and octopuses are. They're they're mollusks, mm -hmm. uh, believe it or not. And yes, yeah, squids and octopuses diverged. You know, some time ago, quite a bit ago. Um, there's also a few other or a couple other groups of cephalopods too. There's nautiluses and cuttlefish um, yes so those, yeah, four, those are fun those yeah. four kind of rounded out um and so yeah the say the octopuses are are super well known because they're they're fairly easy to keep in aquaria um mm. because a lot of them are, are are benthic you know they live on the ground they kind of live on the right. bottom of the ocean or fairly shallow squids are a little bit trickier so I think people know most about octopuses and cuttlefish probably because those are very conducive to captivity and maybe a little bit less and certainly a whole lot less about a lot of different squids so, you know the deep living squids that they study in bari for instance those are very poorly known because they're just so hard to find really sure so sure. is the humble squid it says it's uh, here that i'm looking at something it's up to 43 feet that is monster man but I mean, um, that is an incorrect statistic for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The, yeah, speaking of that, <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll get into our. That was from National stature. Geographic, by the way. Forty-three feet is definitely wrong, but maybe a different kind of big squid. Yeah, like a giant squid for sure. Colossal squid. Ah, uh, there it okay. is. Probably colossal. So okay, so let me. No, no, no. Do no, these guys do change it. colors, Ben? Can, Can they, you wait uh, till we get to that? We're going to get to that. <laughs> We're going to get to that. Let's, let's just do one thing at a time. Let's do their size and description. So they are the largest of the entire flying squid family, not the not necessarily the largest squid. And their bodies or mantles can be as long as 1.2 meters or about four feet in length. And their tentacles usually add another meter in total length to their overall size. And as for their weight, they can weigh up to 50 kg or 110 pounds. And, you know, they take on the traditional squid shape and look. Their mantles are super thick and tough and also come in colors such as white 
or red orange. And like other squids, they have a total of 10 appendages with eight arms, and each arm is covered in roughly 100 to 200 hooked suckers. And additionally, they have two longer feeding tentacles or feeding appendages that um, that bring prey to the squid's uh, large two-inch long beak. And also, I you probably knew this, Dr. Ben, but I didn't know that this, that there's a difference between tentacles and arms and that arms have suckers along their full length and tentacles have suckers just at the tips. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a lot of information for your listeners to take in, for sure. Oh, yeah, they're used to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like the flying squid family is, is definitely... Uh, that I feel like that warrants just like a little quick, a quick note. Sure, of They're course. like, a, of course, yeah, like you know, the the largest inhabitable space on our planet is the open ocean. That's like right. over ninety five percent of the biosphere, and yeah, it's mostly this kind of big, the dark, cold, empty space. There's not a whole lot going on out there. Um, <laughs> you know, this is like the ocean that's away from land, so not not too right. many people end up seeing it. But yeah, these these open ocean squids. So the the I guess you called it the flying squid family, the the omastrephids. They're um ah there it is. The Humboldt squid is bird. a it is an omastrephid. Um, there's and it's a so the Humboldt squid is a monotypic genus. So there's only one species in Decidicus. It's Decidicus gigas. Um, oh wow! But it was originally classified in the omastrephes, and so there's a couple. I think there may be one or two other. Omastrephes. There's Omastrephes bartrami. No, there's just one Omastrephes, I think. Uh, I'd have to look at a book. But regardless, there's several there's several genera in this open ocean squid family, the the uh, Omastrephidae. And the Psittacus are just one of the species in that family. And there's there's several others. But generally, they're all muscular. They're all really good swimmers. They're kind of like under, underwater rockets. And the Humboldt squid grows the biggest out of all of them. But the others can get you know, you know, if you caught them, you'd be pretty happy, like that kind of size, right, like, like big, that's a huge de- <laughs> decent sized squid. Um, yeah, and these are animals that are moving around in the open ocean lots. They're all highly migratory. They're all so they're they're built to swim, um, right? And like I think when people are first introduced to squid, if they've never seen them before, I, I tend to say they're they're basically fish, but they're the molluscan equivalent of a fish. So you know, like. Fish are chordates, so they have they have bones and scales and stuff like that. So squids they don't have that kind of machinery to you know for evolution to act on. But they, you know, over over evolutionary time, you know this this kind of animal that's been produced is a lot like a fish in many ways. So they do have fins just like fish. They have um, right. camera style eyes just like fish. They. You know, and it, it, the closer you look, the more similarities you will find. There, there are right. similarities that aren't, they weren't, you know, um, evolved from a common ancestor. These are similarities that are, that are convergent. They're, um, they evolved in response to similar selective pressures. So just like these squid, there are many fish that live in the open ocean swimming around. It turns out eyes and fins are useful for that, but squid also do. <laughs> The way that squid move about the ocean primarily is is with jet propulsion, unlike fish, which prim- primarily you know like undulate their fins. And so right. there's, right. in fact, the humbled squid they they definitely flap their their fins a lot, just like other squids. But they will use them almost like airplane wings in a way. You will see them oh, kind of manipulate like their fins. Yeah, because they're you know, their main body cavity that the muscular body cavity that they move themselves with, which is called the mantle, it's kind of the biggest part of the animal that 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 body cavity, in in addition to having like all their organs and stuff inside of it, it, it is used to suck in water, and then push it out a small tube on the bottom of this animal's head. 
which is their siphon. And that's basically their jet engine. So they're, they're constantly pushing water out of this little tube on the bottom of their head. And that's what's mainly propelling them forward. And these animals okay. can swim really fast in that way. But Humboldt squid um, have this, I wouldn't say it's unique because other open ocean squids do this as well, but they kind of do this climb and glide sort of swimming. If, if your listeners are familiar with goldfinches, perhaps like the American goldfinch, mm-hmm. that's a bird that has this distinct, you know, kind of three flaps and then it glides down and up and then three flaps and glides down and up. And so Humboldt's would kind of do a similar thing where they kind of, they will, they will jet themselves and then they will glide kind of using their fins for stability and then they'll jet again and glide. And so they're doing this underwater though. Wow. Um, yeah. And so this is kind of like, so your general overview to the animal, like you said, I mean, their body's set up a little weirder than ours, or it's just completely different from ours. Like their right. their arms are on top of their heads. So if if your listeners are kind of sitting in a chair at home or something, so this animal has ten arms coming out of the top of its head. When you put it like that, it's kind of weird thinking about it now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so you know, these animals are moving backward mostly right, through their life. So they're right. they're pointing the other end of their body, which is where their fins are. So then they'd have basically fins on their feet, kind of, if, if you okay. will. It's, it's kind of, it's really yeah, stretching you, this analogy. You just blew our minds, I think, with that. Yeah, I'm now trying to, like, imagine arms on my head. Yeah, and I'm, like, getting really a very weird visual. I'm really stretching the analogy <laughs> here. But, yeah, so the arms are on top of the head. The mouth is on the very top of the head, in and amongst okay. the arms in the very middle. And then the fins are on where your feet would be, basically. And, and so these animals are typically moving themselves, you know, uh, fins first. So basically tail first, if you will. They're kind of pushing themselves through the water that way, but they can move arms forward as well, pretty much just as easily. But when these animals are moving over sustained distances, you'll see them usually move tail first. Um, So move with their fins pointing first, but they will definitely, you know, move arms first when they're approaching a prey item. And yeah, they have 10 arms um, and these arms are lined with rings of hooks on the Humboldt squid, at least, and on other um, some other squids as well. I mean, that's kind of like one of the taxonomic traits you'd look at when you're trying to figure out what a squid is that you're holding in your hand. Like, do the things on its arms have hooks or not? That's kind of like mm-hmm. step. Like, can it's like an early step. But Humboldt squid have have hooks on there. So, well, not not like a fishing hook per se, but they have these right. many small circles of of more hooks on their arms. Right. So, like, sure, yeah, yeah. So they're that's what's that's what's lining their arms at least. Yeah. That's and, intense. And so you said you mentioned a few things about their colors. Um, so these animals really, so yeah, their their color changing is is uh, it's kind of like if our skin, if we could, um, so so they have a skin, you know, this outer layer of of tissue on their body, and and in that tissue are these really special organs called chromatophores. They're 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 very small um and these these chromatophores are in the animal's skin and and they're covering the animal's entire body and you know so like you're talking like single cell sized basically these little chromatophores i mean bigger than that you can see them with the naked eye but what chromatophores are is they're pigment containing cells so each chromatophore Mm -hmm. has a basically a droplet of pigment in it and -hmm. the animal can can uh can manipulate those cells to either spread the pigment out or contract the pigment in the center. So what it's wow. basically doing is it's using the pigment to either conceal or reveal the the tissue beneath. And so Humboldt squid flesh is kind of this, you know, sort of milky white sort of color. 
And so when all their chromatophores are relaxed, the animal would appear just pale. But then oh, okay. they can use, you know, they can use their brain basically to say, okay, now I want to contract chromatophores. And if they contracted them all at once, then the animal would appear red, hence the name red devil. So they, they only have one type of pigment mm-hmm. in, their, in their chromatophores. So if, if they appear orange or if they appear red or whatever, that, that's just a matter of perspective. What you will okay. see in some squids as they age, the pigments will change. And actually many kinds of squids that will have multiple pigments. Um, but Humboldt squid have one pigment and, um, other deep sea squids are like that as well. Um, and sometimes you'll see as, as the animal ages, it's the pigment will change from an orangish to a darker red as the animal. Cause many of these animals descend with depth as they age, they live deeper and deeper oh. and deeper. Oh, wow. But the Humboldt squid, it, it kind of, it seems mainly to just have like a red pigment. And so the animal, yeah. So all its chromatophores are basically the same color and, and it doesn't necessarily have to go from all pale to all dark, although it does that quite a bit. That seems to be one of the main things that it does with its um, skin changing coloring. But um, they can also produce like a variety of unique patterns on their bodies that you could kind of think of as like phrases, for instance. Oh, wow. and if you're comparing them to kind of what humans do, that nowhere near as complex, and this definitely warrants further investigation. But they they produce a repertoire of you know about thirty different patterns that they will cycle through in different orders, and they will so they can kind of use these you know in the very most basic way to to like camouflage themselves or to confuse prey or things like that or or uh, scare predators even, but they can also use it to exchange information between squid. So they can use it kind of as a really rudimentary sort of language, um, a visually based language. Yeah. Holy crap. Have yeah. you broken and the that's, code? That's, yeah, it's like that's, squid morse code. <laughs> exactly. And that's not unique to Humboldt squid. That's something that you see in a lot of, um, uh, I mean, it's mainly studied in shallow living squids, um, but presumably other members of the open ocean squid family probably do very similar things. It's just a matter of, of getting the resources and time to study them. Sure. Wow. You've like, you've, you've blown our minds on so many things and really quick. Um, their eyes are huge, which I couldn't get over the fact it's like a 10 inch diameter, you know, basically like a T plate sized eye. And then unfortunately, and I, we kind of noticed this, like we did an episode on the blue ring octopus. These guys do not live very long. Um, you know, the average lifespan is about a year and a half, maybe two years, but you know, it seems to be like a year, year and a half is where they drop off. Is is there a reason why cephalopods and like squids and octopuses just their lifespan is just so incredibly short or is that? Sure. Yeah. And I'll I'll just quickly (laughs) note about the eye. It does seem like there's on, on some of these websites, there's kind of information exchange between Humboldt squid and giant squid. And so, ah, yeah, Humboldt yes. squid, their eyes definitely are big. But, you know, I've, I've held the eyes of, of very large Humboldt squid in my hand. And they basically, they might fill my palm, you know. Okay. So you're okay. talking more of like a, a baseball-sized eye. Right. Perhaps. I mean, still big. And still, right, yeah, you know. Right, yeah, it's still a huge eye. Yeah. And they're, <laughs> so that's, you know, they're. They're presumably quite good at seeing under low light conditions. Um, right. And their ability to resolve detail with their eyes, so their acuity essentially, it, it's somewhat similar. It, it's not better than our – we're better at that than they are. Um, and I can't mm-hmm. quite remember, you know, where they stack up against other animals. Like cats are worse than us, and I think they fall somewhere in the middle there. I can't quite remember though. But, um, but yeah, a- anyway, and then back to their lifespan. Yeah, they're – 
squids are um they they live fast for sure in fact you so so that's also there's also a, a key trait of humboldt squid that i think is very mind-blowing and it has to do with their age it also has to do with their body size um so we're we were talking kind of about like maximum body size you know right this animal that's two meters long or over two meters long so over six feet long you know that's kind of the upper end um right and you'll see this in different squid populations as well, different species. But in Humboldt squid, it's really pronounced. They have exceptional flexibility in their body size and lifespan. Um, and so squid are what we call, well, Humboldt squid are, are their semel paris. And what that means is they die after they breed. So if you Ooh, have okay. a Humboldt squid, um, you know, that animal is going to get to breed you know, it's going to have one reproductive event in its life. And that could be, you know, that could be like several egg productions or spawning opportunities. There's many, you know, there's probably many reproductive opportunities packed into that window. But after they're done with a reproductive season, if you will, they, they die. And so if you know, if you have a mature animal in front of you, that's basically the largest that animal is going to get. It is the largest it's going to get. It's also the oldest it's going to get. So that's that's their maximum. So for an individual, it's size or age and maturity. That's kind of like the maximum it will do. That's definitely not the case for us. You know, we reach sexual right. maturity in our teens, maybe, and then we live for another several decades or more. That's right. that's totally not the case with Humboldt squid. Humboldt squid are breeding and dying um, in very very quick su- succession. And so, in theory, that's what we think. Although it's you know you just don't see too many post-spawning animals. And right. that's actually something that's really not well known in these open ocean squids. Like how long after they breed, are they dying and stuff like that? Right. Um, is it instantly or like, is it a couple months? Yeah. Or? But so these animals have remarkable flexibility in the age and size at which they mature. And it, it oh. seems to have to do with environmental conditions. So if, okay. if conditions are good for squid, like, you know, the water's cool and there's lots of food um, these animals will delay maturity and they will keep growing and growing and growing because there's incentives to getting bigger. Um, right. if you're bigger, you know, you can produce more eggs, you know, produce more gametes, you can fend off predators, you know, better. There's, there's, there are lots of advantages to large body size, but the problem is if you're an animal that needs to reach a large body size in order to mature, that could present problems if the environment fluctuates so if if conditions get worse all of a sudden it becomes harder to achieve that larger larger body size and so what squid do instead of like you know trying to force it they they will just go ahead and mature at whatever size they're at essentially um so if, if a squid actually grows up in warmer conditions with less food around they will mature at smaller sizes and younger ages than if conditions were better. And so, you know, these maximum body size Humboldt squid we're talking about, those are squid that grow up in rich current systems like the Humboldt current or the California mm-hmm. current. Mm-hmm. These are animals that have lots of food and access to great habitat. Um, but Humboldt squid can also mature at about, um, let me get the numbers right. So there was a paper that came out recently that reported the smallest sizes for this animal. It was somewhere around like 12 or 13 centimeters. 
Oh, wow. And that's it? Yeah. And so, and that's an animal that's probably only living for like five or six months. <clears throat> so on one end, you have these animals that are living close to two years and growing over two meters long. Um, and then on the other hand, you can have animals that are only living for about five months and growing like, you know, 12 centimeters long, if that. So that's, that's, that's pretty small, right? That's 120 yeah. millimeters. That's a small animal. That's, yeah, very small, mature squid. And so Humboldt squid have like, I forget what the percentage is. Like if you do it as a percent of that largest animal, like they have like close to or over 200% flexibility in body size and maturity and in wow. their age too. It's a crazy flexibility there. And, you wow. know, they'll, they'll mature at sizes in between too. So there could be medium mature squid, small mature squid, big mature squid. And, and that's kind of, that is the, the, one of the squids great, um, great abilities, actually. It's kind of like their superpower, this, this flexibility, you know, okay. Absolutely. So they're not living that long. So they're an animal that, you know, really needs to make time count. You know, it's kind of, it has a, it's clock is ticking. As soon as it hatches out of the egg, it's clock is ticking. And, <laughs> uh, you know, so it could double its lifespan if conditions are good and get, and, you know, 10 times its body size if conditions are good, or, you know, if they're not so great, they, you know, they kind of just go ahead and mature and die, mature, right. spawn and die and hope that the next generation has a better shot essentially. So this, wow, that's a, that's a key trait. And so when you look at, at lifespan in, in animals broadly, you know, there's, if I could simplify a lot, you know, there are things that are like trees, you know, that, that grow big and live a long time, um, but face many barriers to achieving that long lifespan and large size, you know, so only, right. so not many actually make it that, that far, but those that do, once they achieve that large size and long lifespan, they're set. And, you know, so that's one way of doing it. Um, another way of doing it might be like the grass that's growing around the trees, you know, it pops up every year, it dies pretty quickly. But, you know, if a wildfire rips through that forest and kills all the trees, you know, trees are kind of SOL, but right. the, but the, the grass, grass is going to grow right back. So that's, right. that's sort of in the ocean, very similar things happen to wildfires. I mean, it's not as destructive, but there'll be marine heat waves, you know, as you know, when atmospheric things shift, things in the ocean shift too. And this, this dynamic nature of the ocean is, is kind of where squid thrive. When, when conditions get really variable, those are the, the sort of conditions that favor animals with shorter lifespans and, and oh, rapid okay. turnover. Um, so squid okay. are part of the puzzle. They're, they're part of what makes the ocean ecosystems tick because, you know, when, when fish, for instance, which, tend to live a lot longer than, than their squid counterparts. So these are right. ecologically similar um, taxa. You know, when fish aren't doing so well, squid tend to do better and vice versa. So you kind of have this reciprocity in some cases. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so it's, yeah, there are advantages to having that, that shorter lifespan. But presumably the reason, and, you know, so not all squid are as short-lived as Humboldt squid or other species, right. um, especially deeper living squids. They probably live a bit longer because the pace of life is just a lot slower in the deep ocean where it's really, really cold and not a whole lot of food. Right. Um, but, you know, I want to say like chambered nautiluses. So that's another kind of cephalopod. They tend to age around gosh, I want to say in, in like 20 years, like 20 year lifespan, something like oh that. Gosh. So that's a completely different cephalopod. 
Right. But you can see like in the cephalopods, there is, uh, there's a variety of, of lifespans and body sizes. Um, and so, yeah, I guess the thing there aren't, it's, it seems like squid, you know, via their molluscan heritage, they have some constraints on right. how long they could possibly live just by being a mollusk. But, you know, there are some like muscles in the inner tidal that will live decades. So it's, uh-huh. it's, you know, their short lifespan seems to mainly be in an adaptation for their habitat. Um, probably That's in so addition crazy. to some constraints from being a mollusk as well. Yeah. Right. That was a long-winded you've, answer, but I no, think it's, it's that's a really key thing about Humboldt squid, their flexibility and lifespan and body size. That's really fascinating. And it helps them to deal with environmental I, I, change. I've got to get a ways. question in here because we only have uh, Dr. Ben for like another few minutes. So Dr. Ben, I want to read something to you and have you comment <laughs> on it. Watch it be it from said, one of his published papers. <laughs> a 2008 study predicted that the ocean, ocean acidification lowers the Humboldt squid's metabolism metabolic rate by 31% and activity levels by 45%. By the end of the 21st century, it is furthermore speculated squid to be able to spend less t- time, less of Wait, the this daytime. this sounds a lot like the Wikipedia page on Humboldt squid. Yes, it is. Why uh, are you on Wikipedia? Oh my God. Oh my God. But well, because Dr. it says as the off, oxygen like, minimum zone layer would grow, uh-huh. a more recent study, however, provides empirical and theoretical evidence that squid metabolism is unaffected by ocean acidification. What do yeah. you say? So what is the question? Is it, you know, yeah, what is your, what is, your is the, is the acidification affecting the squid or not? Uh, so I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert on ocean acidification, but I will just say that, yeah, the 2008 study um, has its issues. It was a pretty high profile study. It's been cited a lot. Um, it was kind of one of the first studies to do simultaneous manipulations of pH and temperature at the same time. Um, oh with marine animals. So gut is pretty high profile paper. And um, so, yeah, there, there are definitely caveats to it. Um, and, and I'll just note that, you know, kind of doom and gloom papers definitely get more press attention, but right. You know, since then there, the literature field's kind of gone back and forth and there's really not a whole lot of studying going on or so. Yeah. It, there's some challenges to doing OA. So I'm just going to abbreviate ocean acidification work to OA work with squids or, or any sort of experimental with work with squids that I've already touched on. Is that just squids are really hard to keep in captivity. Now, there are some shallow living, like reef dwelling squids that are much easier to keep in captivity. Those are animals sure. that are used to dealing with a, you know, an environment like that. But open ocean squids like Humboldt squid this is an animal that never touches a hard surface in its life. It's born in the, it's born in the open ocean. It lives in the open ocean. It dies in the open ocean. So when you catch this animal and bring it into lab and put it into a small tank and then manipulate conditions within that tank, the biggest problem already is that this animal is in a complete situation that it never encounters. And so Humboldt squid actually, from what I've seen, oftentimes they will ram themselves to death in these <gasps> respirometers that, that oh. these scientists use. Not always. Oh, you can no. do these experiments. You can keep them in there, but it takes a lot of patience and the right specimens. And oftentimes when you look at the data from OA studies or temperature studies on squids that are from the open ocean, you know, the things that they measure from these animals, like the data kind of look like a shotgun blast. And the reason is because 
There's a whole lot of inter-individual variability. And it's also this situation that's just really hard to get an accurate measurement from. Um, so it, it's a matter of context, I would say. I'll just note that in these oxygen minimum layers, you know, that they're referring to in that study, you know, as generally speaking, this is a broad generalization, but in the ocean, when oxygen decreases, pH tend to de- tends to decrease as well. So when animals go into low oxygen, cold environments, they tend to go into more acidic environments. And so these, oh, these oxygen minimum zones that the authors are referring to are zones of low oxygen, low pH. And so, oops, excuse me, just knocked the microphone out of my mouth. But basically, these animals tend to encounter both things at the same time. Um, and, and so I would say, you know, the literature goes back and forth on it. And there's tons of variability in the data. And I'd say, you know, squid are probably somewhat buffered from it um, just because they kind of spread the risk. That's kind of their strategy is just to spread risk anyway. So I don't okay. think you're going to see a huge obvious signal in any OA study of squid unless you really cook them um, oh, or gosh. really, really bathe them in acid. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's probably a problem. But again, these animals are like, they're really migratory. So like presumably if conditions are terrible, you know, they're probably going to leave. That would be my guess. But, you know, these these massive ecosystems that they're inhabiting, like, you know, the California current system. Yeah, you know, if you leave that, there's not a whole lot around it. So that could be a problem maybe. But I guess really I'm... Uh, I think the OA literature field kind of goes back and forth a lot already on a lot of things with fish, for instance. And so, yeah, I would say the jury's still out and most likely they're fine. All right. We're going to respect your time. (laughs) You definitely have to agree to come back because there's so many more questions that we have that. Yeah, absolutely. Be glad to come back. Let's do it soon. To schedule part two, but yes, thank you so much for your time and just knowledge. I mean, you've, you've blown the lid off of like everything. So thank you again. Thank you as always for listening guys and be on the lookout for part two in the next couple of weeks. All right. Thanks. Doc. Well, Otto, do you approve of this week's episode? <laughs>